This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and we're doing a continuation of the series with my co-host, Marla DiCarlo. She's the CEO and co-founder of Raincatcher, a business brokerage out of Denver, Colorado. And returning as guests, we have Alan Harvey and Jim Gilbert. In the previous episode, they were going through the details of the sale of a business that they ran together in Denver, a recent transaction last year, and Marla's company handled that transaction. But what I wanted to cover today with Jim and Alan and with Marla's help is to unpack the skill sets that both of these gentlemen bring to the table and their insights to the business owner mindset and skill sets and some of the levers and tools that they can have in place that will help them run their business. So we talked about this a lot before we started. And so first, I think we'll start alphabetically. So Alan, if you would, tell us a little bit about your business and who you serve. So I'm an independent valuation expert, and I do professional certified business appraisals. We also work on calculations, which are not independent certified business appraisals. I work for IBVA, and IBVA Pros is the team that we put together with some other valuation experts. I'm teaming with a valuation expert by the name of Mike Dugan, who's got a lot, he's a veteran appraiser in, in the industry. And we are also developing some relationships and teams with other appraisers as well, so that we have a team approach to our appraisal practice. So that's what I do. We are at IBVA.com or IBVA Jim? Sir, I'm a CPA, run a CPA consulting practice. We have three sides of our business. One side is the traditional accounting, bookkeeping, day-to-day, help many clients, cloud-based accounting. Got a, the, the business side where I work on lots of CFO, controller, advisory business. And then the other side of our business, which is my passion, is technology and how do you apply technology. And I spent a lot of time working with, my greatest love is merger and acquisition. Spent a lot of time helping my owners, both buyer and seller, you know, be successful and how to get, get to those processes and meet and achieve maximum value on whether you're buying or selling. Marla, and you're the, you and I are friends and we've talked a lot and we've had a number of episodes and talk a little bit about what you do at Raincatcher and then we'll try to weave together while we're all on this podcast together. <laughs> So Raincatcher, we help entrepreneurs to sell their companies and more importantly, to maximize the full value before they sell. So that's something we see owners are either aware that they're leaving money on the table or that they have options before they decide to sell their company. So we're here today because Jim and Alan are a big part of the affiliates that we use to help those owners make sure that they don't have seller's remorse, maximize value. <laughs> you know, I, I think about great segue. Thank you for that. I, you know, because that, that's exactly why you're here. You know, I, I think about the business owner and, you know, for so many of them, it's their life's work. It's, they're extremely passionate. They're really they know everything about that particular service or product that they have, but I think what they fail to do, or in many cases difficult to do, is view their business from the buyer's perspective. You know, yeah. and so, the, and there's the difference that we talked about previously between a job and a business, yeah. you know, value drivers in the business, all of these various topics. So, you know, thinking about how do we start? So, I think what we wanted to do as goals out of here is to, to share with the business owner two or three things maybe that they can take away from this podcast that they can deploy in their business that will bring profits to the bottom line or increase the value as opposed to just cash flow. 
So who wants to start? Alan, Jim? I think I'll start start here. You know, I, I think I think you're spot on there, Bob. And you know what what the listeners here today need to understand is if you're confused by where where do I start? What's my company worth? Where am I at in the process? Do I sell today? Do I sell five years from now, two years from now? There are people out there. I'd, I'd recommend that you find advisors. You know, if you're a manufacturer and you're great at manufacturing, there's also the art of business and getting people surrounding yourself with people that are great advisors, have great networks, have connections to all the facets of business. And how do we look at that? And how do I know how would a buyer look at me? What are the things that are attractive to a buyer? You know, and having somebody that can advise you and work through what I call, Alan teases me all the time, it's a three-legged stool. It's, it's people, it's process and systems. And how do you look at all three of those? And all three of those need to be synergistically connected. They relatively need to be equal. So what are the things that people need to look at? And so that's a super important aspect that we, we want to try to impart some of our knowledge and give people a couple steps to think about. And what are the steps forward? making that assessment of how, what does a buyer think of my business? Alan? I'd say from a valuation perspective, obviously an independent certified valuation would say, this is what we believe the business is worth. We all know that a business is worth what a willing buyer is willing to pay for it, and a willing seller is, is willing to sell at um, an arm's length transaction. So there are things that I think a business owner can focus on and there are things that are outside his control. From a valuation perspective, there are drivers that are what we call exogenously determined. They're coming from the outside. We have no control over them. We don't have any control over the macro economy, the micro economy. We don't have any control over COVID-19 and its economic impact. But the things we do have control over are how we run our business what our financials, the, the way our financials are, are put together and the quality of the, the financials and profitability. You know, many business owners, they focus on EBITDA. EBITDA is obviously an important factor, but so is free cash flow. So is a strong balance sheet. So there's a lot of things to be looking at from a uh, valuation perspective. You know, on that valuation perspective, you know, Marla, I'm sorry, for you, on your perspective, these guys are business owners that have sold. And so they went through the process and where you guys were unique is you started your business with exit in mind. And I think many business owners start their business with the hope of staying in business in mind, you know, and then building the business. So Marla, with their perspectives and yours, thoughts? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, what's so important is first off, I feel many business owners wait too long to get that first valuation. I don't mean to make this sound like that they're doing something wrong because I don't think they understand the process or the need to have a valuation earlier in your business. So I one of the first things is getting a valuation, you know, which is different than just a back of the envelope valuation. So there's different types of valuations. And so get a certified valuation that's done by Alan who is certified to be able to do that and then have a benchmark. So then you know where you're at so that you have something you're working towards. And then you bring in someone like Jim, you know, to help you with that strategic roadmap 
on how you're going to, you know, grow your business, scale your business the right way. That was something that Jim and Alan both did from day one with their business that we worked with them to sell back in 2019. That was what was so incredibly impressive about their business. It stood out from hundreds of businesses that we see. We talk, Jim and Alan probably don't know this, but we, Jason and I talk about their business with our internal team often. <laughs> yes, right? And that's, what we're, that's why we're here because we want business owners to do this because from day one, they had the mindset of we are going to do the right things from the beginning around people, process, and systems to set our business up for success. And because they did that, when they had a life event that triggered them needing to sell, they were still able to control that sales process. So that's my pitch on why I'm here and why I'm representing, you know, working with Jim and Alan because of the importance around that. That's what, how a buyer looks at a business. Alan, I have a question for you. So let's say we have the same business, same industry across the United States, let's say. Would that business value, nuts and bolts maker, would there be a bell curve on the valuations of those businesses? If you had from California to New York, do they all basically sell for the same multiples are there variables that you observe yeah there are just there's so many variables there's geographical location of course and there's local economies different tax rates you know what a business is selling for in in, in california is not going to be the same as what it's selling for in in uh, montana all things being equal so that yeah there there's a lot of variability and yeah, I just say that uh, start as as Marla pointed out, you know, getting a, a a benchmark for one's business is a very important thing to do because it it does create that starting point, and then you can measure. Of course, you know, anything that doesn't get measured doesn't get achieved, and you you, you can measure your success going forward. Yeah, what I was thinking of is, you know, you've got some with lots of skill sets in there at the far right hand side, better side of the bell curve, and the folks that are don't have the policies, procedures, and all that in place are on the lower end of the bell curve, which brings me to you, Jim. Then, so you've got the similar industries and businesses and you, you, know, you look at Alan's valuation for the business and you go, well, there's that blue thing, red thing and green thing that's very obvious to you that may not be obvious to the business owner. So if you're looking at one mm-hmm. of Alan's valuations of a business and a guy goes, you know, I know I've, I'm gonna be exiting in X number of years. What types of things might you look at from a evaluation that's done to start trying to develop a plan to move them to the right-hand side of the bell curve? Well, sure. You know, it's, uh, you know, there are multiple ways to look at a value of a, a company, which Alan will get into, but, you know, there's uh, discounted cash flow. My favorite methodology, discounted cash flow. How much cash does this business produce, you know, and buyers want to have free cash flow so they can get return on investment. So that's probably the first thing I look at is what is the free cash flow of the business, you know, also looking at EBITDA. EBITDA is another thing. EBITDA is another factor that is a large driver. People need to focus on that. Some people look at a business and say, it's a multiple of EBITDA and that's what I'm going to pay for it. You know, the equity on a balance sheet, how much equity do I have on a balance sheet? You know, I, I always tease all my clients that that's their number one scorecard. What's the equity on my balance sheet? So how much have I retained over years? That's another thing we look at. You know, then when looking at market comparables, I always say, you know, there's a reason why there's market comparables, why people are doing what they're doing. And they're always saying, well, why, why would X company get more than I would? 
Well, then it, then it's an eternal focus on what drives value, and we'll get into this later, but it's, it's all about maximum value of people, process, and systems. And because a buyer wants to come in and say, I don't want to have to pay any more than I have to, because if I've got great people, great process, and great systems, then I've got something to work with. I've got to get return on investment. I have to get there. And so, and I've got to get a company that gives me free cash flow, gives me profitability. And so that's, that's what folks are working on. So if, if, you know, if I'm advised my clients, I'm talking about those things first at kind of the macro level before we start getting into the weeds. Alan, and on the appraisals, you know, most of the world's familiar with the real estate appraisal. You know, your comps in your neighborhood are X and your house is worth whatever. For you and in, in the, the business owner, what types of appraisals should they be thinking about and what are the functions of those appraisals? Well, for the business, oftentimes what, what happens is if the business owns real estate, then you want to kind of disaggregate those and you look at the real estate separately. That's typically, uh, you know, real estate is held separately and the operating company is held separately as entities. We would, we would presuppose that that's, that's the case for a business. Real estate appraisals, as you say, is heavily uh, based on comps. There is a capitalization record method that, that real estate appraisals will sometimes use and for you know, uh, commercial real, uh, retail space and whatnot. But on the business side, it's, I would say it's, it's bit, a bit more in depth. There's the, we are governed by certain uh, rules. With re- revenue rulings from the IRS, we're governed by USPAP standards and we're also governed by you know professional associations like NACFA and ASA and ISBA. These are the organizations that govern our industry and they are the ones that create the standards that we have to abide by. Generally there are three approaches to value. It's, it's going to be an asset approach, an income approach, and a market approach. What Jim was mentioning a moment ago on those comps, that's a market approach. You're comparing yourself to other companies in the market, other transactions that have occurred. Sometimes it's a public market where you have to make certain adjustments for a privately held company, and sometimes they're private transactions. The income approach is what Jim was referring to when he was talking about discounted cash flow method. And that is, by the way, for many purposes, that is the preferred method of valuation. And it's a, a method that the courts have oftentimes gravitated towards in certain cases, not in um, marital dissolutions. Those are typically an excess of earning type method, which is an asset method, but those are the approaches and each approach has methods underneath it. Each one of them have to be looked at. We're required by our professional standards to look at each of those approaches and make some professional judgments of which approach to go with or to weight those approaches. Marla, you, you have a business owner that reaches out to Raincatcher and says, we'd like to engage you to, to market our company. And I have this appraisal, you know, and you kind of go, this is what my company is worth. I kind of think, well, you know, for you, as you look through, you know, like get an appraisal for a piece of real estate. And just like you guys said, yeah, that's nice. It will sell for what somebody will pay for it, not what it's appraised for necessarily. So for you, how do you view or use certified appraisal when you're talking to a business owner? Yeah. Well, it makes our job easier <laughs> as a broker if we have a certified valuation versus, you know, just an opinion of value. I think buyers are more inclined to accept a certified valuation. There's so many different methodologies for valuing a business and depending on the geographic location, the industry, you know, the size of the business, they're all factors that influence evaluation. So it makes our job a lot easier when we have somebody like Alan that's endorsed 
this is, what the business is worth. Uh, I had a question that I wanted to ask Alan, and I bet this is a question that other owners are wondering. You know, we already know that there's different ways to value a business, and we talked about kind of rule of thumb, you know, using the income approach. Is there anything that helps you to put together that valuation, anything the business owner can put together ahead of time that would help you to have a more reliable (laughs) valuation, you know, to present to them? Yeah. Well, first and foremost is a a good solid set of books that makes sense. (laughs) It sounds, we laugh, but (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) So what does that mean, solid set of books? What does that mean? We all laughed when he said that because gosh, I mean, there's sometimes there's like, listen, I understand that you didn't know what you didn't know. We need to set you up with the bookkeeper, Jim. A, a lot of our job is is making sense of those books and what we call recasting them. We recast the financials to try to make them relevant to what we're doing, but also to make them, you know, coherent. Sometimes there's just, a, there's so many missing pieces. But yeah, the typical PBC or provided by client list typically comes with, you know, a set of financials. We try to go back five years if they've got them balance sheet, income statements, certainly statement of cash flows if they've got it. And then, you know, governing documents. We need, you know, articles and bylaws and management uh, operating agreements, partnership agreements, buy-sell agreements, those kinds of things. That gets us started. We A lot of us is kind of getting into uh, process. I don't want to get into the weeds too much, but, you know, oftentimes we are relying, not oftentimes, we are always relying on not only those documents and income tax returns, but we are relying on management testimony, if you will, the management interview. So when we go to management and we ask them questions about their business and what's going on in the future and what sort of assumptions do you have, that's a big piece of it. And then we have to sort of gauge that, you know, and, and, and make sure it passes the sniff test and that it's reasonable. That's great. I think that's important, you know, because there's business owners oftentimes don't understand how much work goes into giving a proper valuation. I mean, it's very common. Both of you have seen this. Bob, I'm sure you've seen this too, of tax returns not even close (laughs) to the financials that they presented. And so, you know, usually there's an explanation and sometimes it's just that the CPA hasn't made their adjusting entries. But, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into having that conversation with the owner to get it right. So they can pay for evaluation that you're kind of delivering it to them going, okay, well, based upon what you told me, this is what I have. So, but they have to participate in the process, right? Right. Yeah. The process and that participation in the process can get very hairy sometimes, depending on what the circumstances are. We do valuations yeah. for marital dissolutions and for litigation purposes and for shareholder disputes. And, and in those cases, everybody's got an agenda. And so you get you know, in, in some cases, maybe a husband who owns a business and the, the wife is is trying to get the valuation done for marital dissolution. And we're not always getting cooperation on all sides to get all the, all the accurate information. So when we're not auditors, we don't audit the books. We're not making, you know, any assumptions or, or making any comments about, you know, whether they're gap compliant or what the state of the financials are and the information we're getting. But we do use professional judgment to assess whether we're being told is is reasonable or not. Marla, do you think that the people selling their businesses understand that there's more than one type of buyer? No, I don't. And I think that's where it's important for the business broker that they're working with to explain that to them. I don't think most of them are going to understand the process in general just because they've never done it before. 
you know, and so that's, that is a big part. Um, that valuation plays a big part into the type of buyer and, and attracting multiple buyers and all the above. You know, cause you've got what the financial buyer and then you've mm-hmm. got the strategic buyer, mm-hmm. you know, and what struck me is you guys were talking from the previous episode where we were talking about the procedures and, you know, all I could think about when you're talking about your company is they can scale that they can apply that process to their other company. You know, they can bring import all the stuff that you guys did extremely well and putting the company together. So it would seem like to me a strategic buyer would view that differently than perhaps a financial buyer. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's an overall, well, and I'd love Jim to add to this. I mean, my experience, you know, even as an accountant, is there's an end and coming from the perspective of a buyer that there's different ways and I'm going to look at one business versus another business but there is an overall general rule of thumb on the drivers that you're looking at you know I'm probably not going to buy a business period that isn't going to grow or doesn't you know isn't completely owner dependent so I, I think there's kind of a general rule of thumb across all buyer types don't you Jim? Yeah, I think there is. You know, financial buyers, strategic buyers, you know, that's two different ways of looking at things. And, you know, it depends on what you're trying to do. I mean, if there are buyers that are looking for value, looking for just a value that they'll bring in their own kind of people, process, and systems. I see that a lot. I've got some clients that that's what they want to do. They're just looking for something that's low value that they can take and run with and bring it into the fold with a, a like kind group of companies like in construction. There are others that want to come in and buy, you know, buy a company that uh, is ready to go, that they just want to be on the board. They just want to work on the business instead of in the business. They want the company to run itself. And, you know, that's very advantageous for a seller. I mean, if you've got a business that's ready to go, that has, you know, people, process and systems ready to go, that can attract some, some premium value. And, and so, you know, there's other ways to do that. You know, if you look at a, look at a PE company, a lot of PE companies just want to buy Companies that don't care what you've got, they'll just roll you into, into their system and give you your accounting system, your leadership, your board, that kind of that kind of thing. And so that's a totally different sell. I mean, for a buyer, if you have to be careful on who you're trying, who's your audience, what kind of buyer am I going to sell to? That's a critical point for a seller is what kind of buyer do I want to sell to? Figure out who you want to do it, then go after it. And I think that's critical as well. As we talk about this for the business owner that's listening, in my thoughts on sequence, how do I figure out what my business is worth? You know, then you look at it and they go, it's worth X. And you go, can I move it from this side of the, the bell curve to that side? If so, you know, Jim, what are the levers I can pull? Alan, you can comment, says, you know, other businesses like yours look like this. But if you can move these following value drivers, you'll get over here where maybe you go from a C company to a B company and bringing in the coaches to make that happen, which for, I think, a lot of business owners, there's a concern that the coach is is not an investment. Mm. They view that as just, I don't think they see the return on investment for bringing those value drivers forward at the end of the day. Can you guys comment on what you see from a company that goes, I'm just going to sell here or I'm going to bring coaches in and I'm going to really start working on my value drivers. What's your experience? Well, Alan and I worked in a business, for example, where we did some consulting with an owner. He'd never looked at uh, pricing, never looked at his processes, didn't care about his systems, had a bunch of disparate systems. His people were kind of unorganized, kind of scattered. And first thing we looked at was pricing. And within with about 30 days, we realized that he was leaving $500,000 a year on the table with his current clients. He hadn't raised prices. 
had negotiated contracts. So right then and there, whatever we charged them, whatever I charged them, it's like, oh yeah, there's some money right there. So they're, they're in every phase of every business, there are little nuggets that you can look at to say, how can I get better? If you have an advisor that's willing to look a little bit deeper other than then just saying, oh, you need, to, you need to use this system, that system kind of push towards you. If the person understands your business and understands your end game, your, your goals, and understands business and how, how to look at any business, look at the management staff, for example. So if a company's owner dependent, and Marla talks about this at nauseum all the time, we've got to figure a way to, get, we've got to make a change to that because you're going to, you potentially could lose, leave money on the table. And so how do we do that? Well, do we have a management team that's ready to go, could be developed? Is it a one-year path, two-year path? Or do we need to have strategic hires? Or maybe, like with some of my clients, we buy companies that have strategically placed management people that can be bring into the company to put in strategic positions in the company to get away from owner dependence and get a staff that's organized that follows a strategic plan. So those are examples of what some of the things we, that Al and I would do, and I, I do this on a daily basis, just looking for ways. I always have the lens of the buyer all the time. I always have the lens of the buyer. I'm, I'm always thinking about that. And I, you know, to have, a, have an advisor that will give you, a, will be motivational, obviously you want that, but be frank with you and say, you know what, it, we've got, of, of this area, we've got a problem. Here are three alternatives. They all have three different timelines. They have three different, three different costs. And what's best for this company? Because no, no two solutions are the, are the same or, or can be applied to um, uh, across all companies. So those are some examples of the kind of help that people need. Jim, if you were to give one, just pick one area that a business owner should start with, what would that be? Where can they start? <laughs> yeah, the first thing, first thing, Marla, and I, I don't say this because I'm an accountant. The first thing is, they go hand in hand, is financial statements and KPIs. What are my metrics? If you understand those two things, if your financial statements, and a lot of people have poor balance sheets, which that creates, it creates doubt on the buyer. So when I help, a, when I go represent a buyer, the first thing I look at is the balance sheet. If the balance sheet's squared away and I can get, I can get a cash wreck or I can, I can look at the equity, there's no upside down balances, get your financial statements squared away and also know you as an owner, you need to know, just no different than when Alan and I were working with you on our business transaction. What are your metrics? What are your drivers? What are variable costs? What are fixed costs? What's my break-even point? What are the basic block and tackle things that people need to know? I would start there because that's the big lift usually. I would say nine out of 10 companies struggle in those two areas a lot. You know? <laughs> and I, I probably look at two, 300 transactions a year and I would say 90% of them, I always go back to, go back to the buyer and say, oh, they, it looks like their balance sheet's in trouble. When, did they ever have an audit? Did they have a review? You know, a lot of times owners don't want to pay for audits or reviews. If I can get a reviewed statement at least or, or get an audit. A quality you know, of earnings review. Qual quality yeah. of earnings review. Pay for that. I'm telling you, the quality of earnings review, you know, it, the, the lenders love that. I mean, every lender I go to that we're getting an SBA loan or whatever type of loan, they always want quality of earnings re review, right? So, and I get those owners and say, well, I'm going to pay $10,000 for, for a review. Well, that's an insurance policy. That tells your buyer, tells your banker, tells all your partners that somebody independent of you looked at your financial statements and you're ready to go. You're ready yeah. to go. Your financial statements are ready to be presented. 
And I know you, Marla, I, I bet yeah. you struggle with that, trying to get that base model of financials and how do we project out and <laughs> how do you tell the story financially if your financials are erratic year over year? You know, Alan, yeah. as, as they're talking about you know, these steps. So when you come in to look at a company, what access do you have to these types of documents, quality of earnings review or reviewed financial statements? Do you see those or do you request those? Certainly request them. Rarely do we get everything we ask for. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the nature of the business. But we ask for that. We ask for financials. It's very important. You know, as, as, as Jim alluded to, balance sheet, that's something that a lot of business owners sort of ignore, you know, that people focus on the P&L, but the, the real scorecard of a, of a company is, is the balance sheet. The number one thing that 99% of owners don't even look at is their balance sheet. And that's where they get in trouble. Their yeah. P&L yeah. could be, their profit loss statement could be just letter perfect. Yep. But it creates that doubt. So if, it, you know, if somebody hires me as a buyer and I'm doing due diligence, remember, Bob, I'm, I'm going to look at your balance sheet because that tells me what your accounting group's been doing, how you've been carrying yourself financially. And I start asking the questions. I sort of go through the balance sheet because for a buyer, if I got a squishy balance sheet that I don't trust, I might move on to another deal, which means that deal is not as important to my buyer as maybe another one. When I see a good set of financial statements, I'm intrigued by that. I'm like, oh boy, we've got something good here. Maybe we can rely on. And so, you know, what's, what's the thing both people are trying to get to the end? We're trying to trust the financials. What are the projections? You know, what's the five-year projection? Free cash flow, the whole nine yards. So, yeah, pay attention to your balance sheet. Get your, your balance, balance sheet, sheet should be reconciled. Everything should be reconciled, right? And an owner wouldn't know that a lot of times. Why would they? You know, that was something that they used to bring up that, well, I, I didn't know that. I've never taken an accounting course, but <laughs> your bookkeeper, your accountant, or your CPA should. And so that's, I agree with you. I've seen buyers, to your point, Jim, walk away from the deal because the financial states were in disarray. They didn't trust them. And so they thought, what else is wrong? This week I looked at for a buyer, looked at the balance sheet. And it, it had so many upside down balances. And then I try to do a proof of cash, which is a very, that's kind of an entry point to my, if I can prove out cash and I can get the 1231 bank rec to, to reconcile, I might keep looking, but I don't go beyond that. I literally do not go beyond that. If, it, if it's all, and they can't, because how many years has this been wrong, especially on a legacy company that's been around 30 years and the guy never looked, the guy or gal never looked at their balance sheet. It's like, oh, I, I didn't know uh, I had these issues, right? Nothing's reconciled. Yeah. You know, so it happens all the time. All the time. Yeah. Alan, when you're doing a valuation, do you often find that the business owner protects or understands the value of intellectual property that they develop in their company? No, no, they, they don't. We try to have a discussion about, you know, tangible assets and intangible assets. You know, in, from the investment world, we call that alpha, right? So it would be, you know, any excess beyond what the tangible assets, a reasonable rate of return for a tangible asset would be. And that is something that is part of the valuation process is identifying those things and getting the, that balance sheet recast. You know, for, for the business owner, we're, you know, let's say that you have a particular niche or you have a particular insight or something that your company's special, especially, you know, design, I don't know. So they've got something going on. It's their special sauce. And for the business owner that has special sauce but hasn't done anything to protect their special sauce, what types of mm. things can you do to protect or develop your intellectual property that would affect a valuation if, if you came at their front door to do one? 
Well, I think from a valuation perspective, we we look at it as tangible and intangible assets. We we prove that out through the normal processes that we have. As far as protecting IP, I mean, you know, there are there are ways to go about that. Jim, you may have run across. Uh, uh, I, I definitely have some comments on this. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Share your thoughts on it. Well, I, you know, I uh, was hired several years ago to hire to sell a company that had lots of intellectual property, a lot of state of art stuff, and that the big, the, the Lockheed Martins of the world. And the, really, really wanted. And so my first year there to represent the seller, which because we knew we were going to sell, is to look at, you know, agreements with clients, agreement with vendors, employment agreements. We looked at patents, look at trademarks, you know, that really try, try to understand what we've got and then quantify what you've got. You know, a lot of people do for tax purposes, they do an R&D tax study and they get the benefit of that, but they don't really even realize what they've got. You spend all that time developing a report to support the IRS R&D tax credit. Well, that's great, but you know, quantify what you've got because a prospective buyer is going to want to know what that is and how does that how does that differentiate? How do you differentiate yourself from everybody else that's doing the same thing? And how does that make you very competitive in the marketplace? And why do I want to buy that? Why do I want to buy that? And what value does that? Because it may be kind of an intangible value. I mean, because in a, like in an asset deal, you're looking at assets, you're looking at intangibles. As a seller, I want to get maximum intangible value but beyond you know, maximum I can get for tax purposes and lots of other reasons. So I'm trying to drive that up because I want the seller to, to understand, here's what you're getting. Here's my secret sauce. And it means something in, in the marketplace. Knowing your marketplace, understanding the delivery aspects, all those kind of things. I think sellers need to understand that. Yeah. yeah. How often do you guys see, the two of you, how often do you see trademarks or service marks? Like, would you say 50%, 20%? My experience, not, not very much. Not very, most people forget it. Most people don't even understand. You know, it's funny, when I'm, a, I'm on the buying side, as soon as we get that stuff, guess what the first thing we do? We protect our intellectual property. We do all the things that we're supposed to do. It may be a patent. It may be a trademark. It may be a copyright. It may be whatever it is. Well, because we just paid for that. We want to protect that from everybody else, from our competitors and anybody else, because that's what we just bought. That's the value we just bought. Well, they build their brand and they don't protect it. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, Alan, if so, I'm the business owner. And I said, you know, I really need to understand where my business is currently. I think I'm going to be t- trying to exit my business in eight years. I don't That's a good number. <laughs> and so I, I need to understand where I'm at. And then I need to take and be able to look at the report that you prepare for me, understand where my deficiencies are, so I can go toward the target that allows me to retire. What type of report would I ask from you? And then once I did that, got it in, you and I sit down together. Is it reasonable for me to expect you to go, Bob, you know, there's that blue thing over there that you've just done, you know, that's missing. There's this red thing over here that needs something else. Is that something I should expect from you if I engage you to do that? Yes. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, when you receive a evaluation report and there are different types and that's part of your question, um, you know, for internal ownership transition or exit planning, you typically get a summary level report, which is a an unambiguous, unbiased opinion of value that takes all the requirements and puts all the, the required methodologies that in, into that report. It'd be different than a calculation where you basically are just putting it into a, into a computer program and spitting out a, a number, usually a DCF. 
So that is an important report to get because it does give you a true sense of value. Now, like Marla, for instance, and Raincatcher, they will produce a calculated value. I don't mean to speak for you, Marla, but you know, I think that you, you come up with a calculated value, which is an estimated value. It's not a certified appraisal. One of the things, the product that, that Raincatcher uses is, is a product called Value Builder. And you're referring to those blue levers and the, and the red levers and whatnot. That's a very useful tool that Raincatcher provides that helps the business owner understand what levers he can be pulling or pushing or what have you. The obvious ones, of course, is financial performance, and everybody focuses on financial performance, but you also have to look at a lot of these other areas, such as growth potential, how much concentration you have from your income from a single client or a single group of clients, how much spread you have, monopoly control, the ability for the organization to run without you. That's a very important lever as well in customer satisfaction. So all those uh, kind of play into it and kind of help you get from the the left side of the bell curve over to the to the right side of the bell curve. You know, I, I was just you know for, from the business, and I was thinking of a tool. You kind of you know it's like in in almost any other you know in school you kind of go well, Bob, you're in the part of the class that made the top half possible. You go well, I want to be to the top half of the class. You know how do I get there? And you know here's my grade. And so you know I'm looking not just at what you guys bring to the table as a I'm going to sell here it is, you know, I think as a diagnostic tool to start doing discovery and you go, if I don't have my team built, you know, how do I start to build my team? Fractional CFO to start with, if I don't have one, what are the things I can do today? I've got a cash flow problem, which I think given the current pandemic issues that we have, if that's not the first thing on their mind is probably the second thing. And I think about for the companies that are experiencing cash flow problems, you know, Jim said, I had a great business. I got a cash flow problem. I think I can endure, but I need some help. What types of things might you consider and recommend when you work with the company that's concerned? Yeah, it's uh, looking at the current ability to forecast cash, looking at the ability to, uh, for someone to look at the financials, projections, look at the alignment with the strategic plan. Some people have those folks in place. Most do not. I often say, if you, you, you know, if you'll allow me to come into your company and I'll do the fractional CFO stuff and I'll come alongside the owners and the management team and really get them to think about, you know, sustainability and where are we at and where, where are our metrics and let's do some comparisons of last month to this month, those kind of things and really try to understand the business so we can make decisions. So with informed data and informed decision points, you can make those decisions. And what are the alternatives? I think that's for a strategic advisor. You need somebody that can give you alternatives. It's not just one alternative. You know, look at the business, understand the business and say, what if we, we pivoted it to this or we did this or we did this? You know, in the COVID world right now, we've got some companies that are downsizing people, but they're staying the course on what their, what their delivery points are. There are people, processes, and systems. And when, when revenue picks back up, it's scalable, Bob. We go back up to where we were. We start adding people. We start producing cash. But you want a business that can, can, be, can go down a little bit and expand and a business that's not predicated on one or two things to make the business go. Because if you lose a strategic client, for example, now, oh, that's, that's the worst one can really hurt you bad. Recurring revenue, trying to get recurring revenue. I think that's one of the things that I think a lot of buyers like. Get recurring revenues. Find ways to get sustainable revenue that cannot be canceled and terminated at a whim. You know, I, I wonder, you know, like the length of contract or durability of contract or Marla recently lease issues on the mm. sale of a business. 
anyways, you know, you think about, I don't know if the business owner goes, you know, I have all of my contracts and they're coming due next year and they're trying to sell. And you go, might you consider that? And the buyer's going to go, those are all coming due next year. Might that be something to take an approach and consider? If you're a business owner and you're considering selling at some point, you know, look at your lease agreements. And if you, you know, if you're just like a pig staring at a football, you know, you kind of go find somebody that knows what to do with that lease contract from a buyer's eyes. Yeah, Marla, if I could, the number one deal breaker, not the number one, but in the top five is assignment of contracts, novation. You've got to know because the buyer's going to ask in the first part of due diligence is your lease contract, is your client contracts, is your employment contracts, are they all assignable? And if you can't assign those things or they're not, they cannot be novated or it could kill your deal. So I always tell my, my potential sellers, monitor those things, get an attorney. And you know, I've got plenty of attorneys that will look at that, that will look at your contracts, Bob, you know, and say, oh, yes, yes, here, and make a checklist. Have them ready to go. Have them ready to go. What are my termination dates, right? And those kind of things. It's, it's super important to a seller. Yeah. The, the thing that strikes me is, as we sit here, I'm sort of an armchair observer. You know, I know just enough to be modestly dangerous. I'm a business owner. You know, I'm an exit planning advisor, you know, and, and whatnot, but I don't do what you guys do. And, you know, and I know enough to ask the questions. And I think so many of the business owners, we talk about it regularly, they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And it's not that they're bad people and they're really no. smart people. And I admire yeah. them a lot. But you look at that and the statistic on business owner transition is grim. It's something like 80% of the businesses that come to market won't transact. And I think about the transition of, what is it, since 2008, two-thirds of all jobs created were created by small business. Mm -hmm. And if those businesses won't transition or stick around, what's going to happen to the job creation since 2008? It's a grim statistic to think of new, to contemplate. And so, you know, for, for the podcast, part of the reason we do these podcasts is try to educate the business listener that's interested. You know, can we give them a tool? Can we give them an insight? You know, can we give them a go-to? Marla's got a great company on helping business owners sell. You know, Jim, you guys, you and Alan, our former business partners, successfully sold a business, have successfully run businesses. You guys are, are out there as really sharp tools in the toolbox. And the fact that some of the business owners aren't availing themselves of that advantage. I mean, you don't need a huge edge. You need a little edge. And, you know, if you think about if you can get a little bit, 2% here and 3% here and 4% over there, and you go quit doing that thing and paying capital, was that feed starve analysis, which part of your business really doesn't deserve the allocation of capital? Well, dad did that. And you go, well, dad's dead. Don't do that anymore. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> Anyways. I, I'm ranting now because I, you know, sorry, I'm off on a tangent. It's late and there's too much coffee. But I, I, no, but your point is relevant. You, you've hit it, you've nailed it on the head. Because first off, the business owner shouldn't be embarrassed what they don't know. Exactly. Please don't be embarrassed. We already know that. We're here to help you. We want to help you. We all care. And then, you know, and the stuff we're telling you is because we've helped hundreds and hundreds of business owners. It's not because we're just so smart. It's because of our experience and what we've done in our lives. And so use that to your advantage. I just, I get so passionate. I mean, you know, I'll stop right here because I just, oh, I want to help these small business owners. 
And I just, I commend you and Jim and Alan for helping, you know, because you guys, you guys are really smart guys and you, you could work anywhere, but you choose to work with small business owners because we care and we want to help you and we want to help you get through this difficult time. And so I really hope to your point, Bob, that that's what they hear. They, they've taken little tidbits and it's always that simple thing and the light bulb goes on and they go, oh my gosh. I've heard this before, but it was the way you said it. I hope there's something we said today. The light bulb went off, and now they're going to call us, you know, or well, you know, on, not off. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's the business owner that maybe is, is fighting it and brings in the appropriate coaches and stuff and falls in love with their business all over again. And they go, yeah. you know what? I, I've decided that I'm not going to sell. And furthermore, you know what? I think I'm going to add some more. I'm going to go and out and acquire okay. some and you think about that and you kind of go, th so the outcome is not necessarily sale. No, you know? not always. Yeah. You know, so. no, Bob, if I could add one thing, I, here's, here's a piece of advice I tell everybody. Pick somebody you trust, pick an advisor you like. And I tell people, if you could spend an hour with a really smart person that has a lot of experience and then that has your interests at heart, an hour a month, spend an hour a month, you know, what, whatever the consulting rate is. And start there. Start the process. Start the process talking about what are your pain points, you know. And, you know, Al and I have worked for some great CEOs. They, they had lots of people they ate lunch with and breakfast with constantly trying to gain knowledge about how do I help my employees, my clients, you know, all the things in my business. And so it's that. Start the education process. Sometimes it takes a while, but it's, that, that's super important. If I could advise anybody, if I, I could talk to anybody, I tell people all the time, I don't care if you have a $200,000 a year business or you've got a $100 million business. And then, then the other thing is, too, I, I see a lot of this, Bob. I hope this is a good takeaway. I come alongside many, many companies that have grown from $15, $20 million now or $100 million companies. And all, all the while, they started with an accounting manager. They had a controller. They had a CFO. I don't compete against their accounting people. I come alongside. I support them and their business owners at the same time to try to give it a another set of another lunchbox that they can pull into and say, you know, what other things can we do? What can we do? Because there, it's, it's, again, if you're talking about if my balance sheet's in trouble, you got to get somebody that's going to give you advice that can get down maybe sometimes in the weeds of your drill entries and how you're booking your accruals to advise you on the strategic plan. You know, have somebody comes alongside. And I, I've got multiple clients like that. I've done that. And, you know, I get it all the time. The CFOs always will tell me or the controllers, the county managers, we're so glad you're here because you're not trying to compete against me. You're to help. You're here to help me, and you're making my owner smarter. That understands what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make a book a cruel entry so I can get my balance sheet right. I'm trying to have enough people to reconcile the cash. And so it's it's just those little things. If you can think about that, it's not it's not a big lift. One hour a month with a good advisor would be great for you. I mean, where do I just get started? You know, Alan, you're looking across business after business as you come and review and do do your work. If you had a piece of advice or a parting piece of advice to that business owner out there, what might that be based on what you're seeing now? I think based on the things that I see and the difficulties that businesses have with recognizing and realizing value is first and foremost, get the good biz, trusted business advisors alongside you. The grim predictions that you were talking about a moment ago, that these, these companies that don't transition, 
what's the alternative? You know, like they say, you know, I'm getting old, but it's better than the alternative. And if we don't transition these businesses, oftentimes they, they just close their doors. There's just no need to take over the business. But yeah, I mean, it, without getting into the into the weeds, but yeah, obviously, you know, strong financials, get a good bookkeeper to get your financials together, get an audit from time to time, get your business valuation so you have a benchmark and, you know, refresh that business valuation as you move forward in the process. Those are some just kind of low-hanging fruit items. Bob, can I say one more thing? Please. Uh, I say this all the time when I make presentations or I meet with people. I don't care if you're an owner, you're 25 or 55. doesn't make a difference to me. Think about a 10-year roadmap for ownership transition and getting ready for sale. I mean, if I had 10 years in front of me and I could start planning now in a methodical manner, get to the desire I, I'm trying to get to, you know, what do I want to be doing both personally and professionally? What's the company doing? What's my financial wealth I'm trying to get to? If you can look that far out and achieve those goals and try to look at that, that helps you. That helps you think about, it makes you, helps you with your decision making and your plan overall. It drives that every day. And you know, I, I've got one or two owners that I started with. They're in their late 30s. Now they're in their late 40s. Now they have lots of opportunities. They've done some internal transition. They could sell the company. They could buy more companies, right? So it's, it's all about creating alternatives and opportunities. You know, you don't want to wake up when you're 65 and say, well, I think it's time to sell the business to my employees or to an outside person. So you got to consider both, you know, and the sooner you start planning and the sooner it is and the sooner it be better for you. And, it, and you, you create opportunities for yourself, your employees, your family, you know, everybody involved, your clients yeah. included. Don't wait. Don't wait. Well, guys, again, as I said before, I've been harassing you guys, you know, and, and I really appreciate you guys sharing the wisdom of experience and, you know, you've been down the path and taken the lumps along the way to learn what you know. And before I get off here with you guys is to contact information. So Alan, how do we find you? So you can reach me at our website, which is currently ibva.com. We are rebuilding our website and it's going to be ibvapros.com. It's India Bravo Victor Alpha.com. I'm on LinkedIn. It's my name with, you know, MBA hyphen BCA at the end. My phone number is 303 475 3638. Anybody can call me directly uh, anytime. Jim? Sure. Jim Gilbert CPA.com. Jim at Jim Gilbert CPA.com is my email address. Phone number 720 212 1715. I'm on LinkedIn as well. And glad to, glad to spend time with anybody if they just want to talk through things. Marla, thanks again for helping Thank me you. co-host this, this effort and series. You know, and it's a challenging time or can be for some of the business owners. And, you know, as we go through and do these episodes, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, we all kind of extend a hand somehow or another for some of these other business owners and try to help them along. And I hope this is how they view this. You know, it's a continual effort because... You know, and, and the side benefit and the best part is I get tutored by really smart people every episode. So I'm grateful for everybody and their time and contribution. So thanks again, guys, for, for being on this episode. Thank you, Bob. Thank Marla. you. You bet. Bye.